Welcome, everybody, to another episode of This Is Getting Graphic, a show where two friends celebrate the wildest and wackiest of comics and graphic novels. I am, of course, one of your hosts, Phil Oberholzer. And I'm Andrew Kilpatrick, your other host. So, if you watched our first episode, you kind of get what's going to be happening here, but um, I'm kind of a middle-of-the-road comic fan, as I explained in, in episode one. And Andrew has all of, like, the deep cuts and unknown stories when it comes to comics. <laughs> so I, will, I will say, uh, just just to clarify that a little bit, or qualify it, or however you want to put it, um, I have that with Marvel, I will say, a lot more than I have it with DC. I've been a Marvel fan a lot longer than I've been a DC person, so I have a lot of those weird Marvel stories, but I've slowly been accumulating weird DC stories over the years, and I'm so excited about that fact. Well, you found our our story for our first episode, which is about Superman, the menace to society. <laughs> this is no time for horseplay. <laughs> uh, but now, it's out, from what you've told me, we're switching back over to Marvel. Isn't that right? We are indeed. And uh, with the last time where we started with the uh, origins of the uh, Golden Age of Comics... Uh, today we're going to flip over to um, the Silver Age of Comics. This is not the comic that necessarily started the Silver Age of Comics itself. This is the comic that, however, started uh, Marvel's participation in the Silver Age, which was Fantastic Four number one. As I understand it, Phil, you have some opinions on the Fantastic Four. I do. Uh, I more so have opinions on the Fantastic Four's superhero names. Because (laughs) they start off awesome, and then they turn borderline offensive. The superhero names of the Fantastic Four are, for the most part, dumb, in my opinion. (laughs) You have Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, and that is a badass name. And it makes sense. It describes his power. He bursts into flames. He can shoot fireballs and fly, and he's all made of fire. It's really cool. Ladies call me Torch. Sue Storm, the Invisible Woman. Okay, that's it has less flair to it, but it describes her powers. Sue is a badass. You know, I, I can get behind that. Reed Richards, the man who can stretch really far, is called Mr. Fantastic? That does not in any way, shape, or form tell us what his power is. That... That name could literally apply to any superhero on the planet except the ladies, I guess, because Mr. It does not describe him at all. It is a terrible descriptor of who he is as a hero. And just of him as a person, if you ask me, depending on who's writing him. (laughs) Yeah, as I've said, I'm a very, like I was saying earlier, I'm a very middle-of-the-road comic book fan, but I do know enough to know Reed Richards is an asshole. And then we get to the one that legitimately bugs me, which is... Ben Grimm, The Thing. <laughs> like, could you have picked a more offensive name for, for the poor guy? The guy is already going through enough. He is turned into a giant rock monster after being exposed to cosmic rays, which is a feat of science that nobody could ever begin to replicate. And they couldn't even give him a badass name like The Brick or Stone Man or something really cool. They looked at this poor, warped creature and went, Oh, you're going to be called The Thing. We don't know what the fuck else to call you. You're just a thing. Come and help us fight crime, (laughs) you thing. You're not even human. You don't deserve a real name. We're going to call you The Fucking Thing. What do you call that thing? 
That's it. The thing. <laughs> well, um, it's fun. It's funny that you mention uh, talking about the name that way because there's going to be a sequence in this comic where they actually um, choose their names, and you'll figure out uh, where the origins of everything uh, in there came from. But before we get into the issue itself, we're gonna just gonna uh, we're gonna hop into some of the history of uh, where this comic book came from in the first place. As we do. So, um, the year was 1961, and, um, Martin Goodman, who's the publisher over at the newly renamed Marvel Comics, um, so Marvel was called Timely and Atlas Comics, uh, before, uh, they went for the Marvel name. So, um, there's an apocryphal, uh, story that says that Martin Goodman was playing golf with somebody over at DC. Oh, God. And this guy... Yeah, um, and this guy from D.C., it's rumored that that may have been either Jack Leibowitz or Erwin Donenfeld or somebody who would have seen the uh, the sales figures over at D.C. was bragging about their success with the Justice League of America comic. And so um, Martin goes back to the office and calls in Stan Lee, who was an editor and... Um, I haven't heard of that uh, guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, that guy. Who's that guy? So he calls in Stan, and he's like, Hey, listen, I want a book about a team of superheroes because we need to compete with the Justice League. (laughs) And so, um, I mean, it's it's been debunked that the golf game was a thing because um, apparently, upon research, everyone involved was like, No, I never played golf with Martin Goodman. What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) See, my contribution to that was, and then Martin got hit in the head with a golf ball, and when he woke up, he went, you know what would make a great story? A group of heroes where a guy bursts into flames, a guy stretches really far, a lady turns invisible, and a rock man is not considered human. (laughs) So, yeah, um, he had to have seen the sales figures somewhere or just heard that his competitors over at national was mm-hmm. uh were, were doing really well so yeah he calls in stan and he's just like i want a book about a team of superheroes and here's where we pick up with how stan lee tells it because stan um the way he tells it is like i was going to quit comics i was about to quit and um it, this I believe, and this kind of makes sense, because the way that um, Marvel was doing stories in the early 60s, partially because of the Comics Code Authority and all the shit that came out from uh, Frederick Wortham's Seduction of the Innocent in the 50s, was that there were certain things they weren't allowed to do anymore. So like, like George Carlin's Seven Words You're Not Allowed to Say on Television? It kinda, yeah. Like, the Comics Code Authority was a restrictive body in the day that basically said what you could and could not put in a comic book anymore. Uh, Because um, Frederick Wortham, a uh, psychologist, came out with this book called Seduction of the Innocent, where he talked about how comic books and superhero books were corrupting the youth of America. And, um... Yeah, yeah. So you weren't allowed to do, like, crime stories anymore. You weren't allowed to do horror stories anymore. Like, anything that had an explicit monster in it was not a thing anymore. You weren't allowed to, like, show explicit, like, sexuality or anything like that. Um, What are superheroes supposed to do if there's no crime? Pay their taxes? 
Well, no, like, uh, you, you can show crime, but, you know, you can't... They were, like, stories about gangsters and about criminals. Oh, and okay. Yeah, so th- those were the kind of stories that you weren't allowed to do anymore. And so um, you were a little restricted in the kind of stories that you were allowed to tell. So um, they were doing a lot of... Actually, um, DC was mostly in the superhero game at this point. Like um, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, uh, the new versions of The Flash and The Green Lantern, uh, those had all come out uh, in the mid-50s and had kind of like stolen the superhero game. And Marvel had kind of fallen away from it, um, and they were mostly doing like monster comics and romance stories and... Uh, yeah, yeah. So they kind of fallen away from superhero comics. So um, Stan was finding the medium a bit constricting and like a thing that he didn't want to be a part of anymore. So he was kind of thinking, all right, I'm going to quit. I'm going to leave. And then Martin takes him in and he's like, I want this book with superheroes. And Stan's like, but I want to leave. So he <laughs> so he goes and he talks to his wife about it. And she's like, you know what, Stan? Why don't you just do this book? Do this book the way that you would want a superhero book to be done. Oh, and no. if you And if you don't um, think it's going well, then just quit. And Andrew. you want to quit anyway, so what? Andrew, are you telling me Stan Lee had free reign over this comic? Basically, what he wanted to do was, um, the girl wasn't the superhero, usually. The girl was a sidekick, so he wanted to be, or, you know, a damsel in distress. So he wanted to be like, alright, well, let's make the girl a hero. Nice. Or he wanted to, you know, um, everybody always seemed to get along. There was very little conflict in between members of a team. He wanted there to be that conflict there, and, like, clashing personalities. Okay, and I want to preface my, my, uh my pessimistic tone there. I just want to say, I love Stan Lee. I truly, truly do. I think he is a great writer and a god amongst the comic fields. The reason why I was a little hesitant there about him having free reign is simply because when Stan Lee is allowed to have free reign over a story, things tend to go a tiny bit off the rails. (laughs) Just a bit. I mean, that's kind of what we're doing here. Yeah, so I'm a little like, oh god, we're just starting and Stan Lee already has free reign. Right. So he goes back in and tells Martin that he's gonna he's gonna do this book. And um so he goes to uh Jack Kirby, who is okay. an artist at uh at Marvel at this time. Jack Kirby was one of those artists who he's worked at DC, he's worked at Marvel. Jack Kirby is one of those people who is dependable as an artist. He can draw just about anything. Um, and uh, he goes to Jack and is like, hey, let's do this book. I got these character concepts. Can you design them? Basically, um, the way Stan tells it is that he um, brought the characters to Jack. Jack Kirby designed their um, visual looks and... He wrote him a synopsis for the first issue, Jack drew it, Stan added the dialogue later on, in a process that would become known as the Marvel Method, because it's the way that, um, yeah, it's the way that Stan would, um, work on a lot of the books that he was doing back, uh, at this, uh, at this time, because Stan was writing a lot of books at this time, so what he'd do is, um, he'd write a synopsis for an issue, he'd turn it into his artist, 
his artist would draw up the issue, and then he'd add the dialogue once he saw the finished pages from the artist. And so that's uh, how they worked on this first issue. And uh, the Marvel method was so successful with how Stan and Jack worked with it that by the following year, it had become the standard way to make a book for the company. There better have been some really good communication between the artist and the writer, because you could get some seriously messed up disconnects if people weren't talking to each other. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Can you imagine the artist and the writer having a fight, and the comic comes out, and, like, the artist, like, poured their heart and soul into the character, and the writer wrote their dialogue, is like, I'm a big poopy pants fart face, I can't save anybody, I got a dumb design, and a dumb costume, and the guy who drew me's dumb. So we've told Stan Lee's version of events. Let's talk about Jack Kirby for a minute, because Jack Kirby tells oh, it a little boy. differently. Um, Stan Lee locked me in a basement. He made me draw them. <laughs> so Jack Kirby basically said, so Stan came to me and he said, we need a team of four. Can you design a team of four people? And so um, Jack claims that he is responsible for, you know, the concept of the Fantastic Four, for their designs, for um, basically everything that they were, and Stan just added the dialogue later on. Oh, boy. Yes. So um, one thing he's always quick to point out is um, there was a team that he designed in the 1950s at um, DC called the Challengers of the Unknown that bore a very striking visual similarity to the Fantastic Four in terms of their outfits and in terms of uh, their team structure and everything. I'm guessing, considering I've never heard of them, that they were a rousing success. (laughs) Oh, they come back every so often, but the Challengers of the Unknown aren't exactly a well-known DC property. Fair. So, um... So, it's a little difficult to, you know, ascertain exactly who is correct... In terms of their version of the telling of events, Stan Lee, I will say, uh, always marketed himself a little bit better than Jack did. Like, Stan Lee was, you know, a showman. Stan Lee was a guy who uh, knew how to hype up a crowd and how to get an audience, whereas uh, Jack Jack was a little bit more of a... Uh, he had a fiery personality, but that was more of a private thing, I would say. He wasn't a crowd kind of guy. No, not so much. Like, he would do interviews and stuff like that, but, you know, he wasn't, um... He wasn't quite the huckster that Stan is, I guess, would be the way to put it. That's why everyone knows who Stan Lee is. (laughs) That's true. More people should know who Jack Kirby is, though. Because so much of the early Marvel Universe was shaped by Jack Kirby. And... Also, Jack Kirby was very much established in the comic book field at this time. Like I said, he'd worked at Marvel, he'd worked at DC. He was one of the co-creators of Captain America back in the 40s, for crying out loud. So, oh, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, it's a little difficult to, you know, say who is correct here. Although, a lot of people have said that, you know, with how they were creating uh, the Marvel method and everything, um, it's entirely likely that both sides of the story may be true to a certain extent, but it was very much a partnership between Stanley and Jack Kirby. So good. That's yeah. That's that's what I want to make very clear as we're diving into this uh, into this Fantastic Four. Personally, I'm a little more inclined to believe Jack Kirby, but um. Oh, what makes you say that? Oh, just you know because. 
as you say, Stan Lee is excellent. Stan Lee is very much a godfather to the modern comics. But Stan Lee is also a bit of a glory hound. Like, um, he never met a uh, revisionist history that he didn't like putting himself in. So I kind of get the feeling that, um, that's why I say I'm more inclined to believe Jack Kirby. But That's fair. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm going to say that uh, they both had their contributions to this book. And I'm very excited to take a look at it because this is the shit that I legitimately grew up on. So, like, um, at the library where I was growing up, there were these uh, books that had reprints of a lot of the old, like, Marvel stuff. Like, there was one for Spider-Man that showed Mm -hmm. his origin story. There was one for the Hulk. There was one for the Fantastic Four. There wasn't one for the X-Men. I got into that later, but... um... (laughs) (laughs) A whole new world. Exactly. Like, it was absolutely incredible. So, around the time that I was starting to get into into comics, I was reading this shit, and I was... um, reading this uh reading all this fun stanley and jack kirby and steve ditko stuff and it's part of the reason why i'm so much more into marvel i would say than i am into dc because it was kind of my foundational stuff you know that's awesome yeah yeah that's really really cool on the flip side just talking from a personal end as well i find it great that we kind of have this weird juxtaposition um i didn't grow up reading comics i grew up with a lot of like comic tv and oh, the sure. shows that were really popular when I was growing up were DC heroes. Like, I watched the crap out of the animated Justice League, the, the 90s Batman animated series, uh, Teen Titans. So I had all of this DC stuff kind of thrown at me. So I've always felt a little closer to the DC heroes from that upbringing than the Marvel. Well, there you go then. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a very good, very foundational uh, area to get into. And I think that, you know... And I will say this as somebody who I think everybody should read comic books. Um, oh, however absolutely. you get however you get into the media, that's fine. If you get into it via a TV show, if you get into it via a movie, if you get into it via a comic book, like I think we're living in a great era where the Marvel Cinematic Universe is out there because um, it can inspire people to you know check out the original stories and characters that they uh, really like or are really interested in. It's almost as if it's okay to love what you love the way you love it. Precisely. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Just, I'm. We're not going to be gatekeepery fans around here. If you oh, like something, not. like something. Like, I'm not going to judge you for liking something, as long as you know you're liking something isn't hurting anyone else. So, um, you know. exactly. Yeah. I, uh, on that note, I would also like to apologize for my joke at the end of the last episode. If you like Henry Cavill's portrayal of Superman, by all means, love it. <laughs> I hope I didn't offend anybody with that joke. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, anyway, uh, now that we've got that history down, uh, let's take a look at the first issue of the Fantastic Four. Let's take a look at this cover first off. And okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you this cover because it is a classic cover that has been homage on so many occasions, but it is also absolutely hilarious when you actually look at it and like examine the individual details of it. So I'm gonna show you this cover and we can uh, take a look at what's going on here. <laughs> what the fuck am I looking at? So what you are looking what at is, is a giant green monster that is emerging from the middle of a city street and is being fought by 
I would argue almost exclusively the Human Torch and the Thing. This is a like considering everything you just showed me. This is kind of a weird nitpick, but look at the font that they wrote the Fantastic Four in. <laughs> it's like the title card for. I kind of like that races. though. Like that's uh, they're using a similar logo for a while. So um, you know, so it, what we see here is. Sue Storm, the Invisible Girl. She is not the Invisible Woman quite yet at this point. She's referred to as the Invisible Girl. What about your leader? Okay. Is being hoisted up by this monster, and she's saying, I can't turn invisible fast enough! And it's like, okay, um, <laughs> you're already being held by the monster. What is this going to do for you? How long does it take you to turn invisible? Only my pinky finger can't be seen. But so then, um, the Human Torch, who is flying in, is responds to her, Just wait and see, sister. The Fantastic Four have only begun to fight. I really hope Johnny isn't the one that's going to rescue her from that monster's grasp, because he is going to cook her alive if he carries her to safety. Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, from the side, we've got the Thing coming in, shoving a car out of the way and being like, Alright, time for me to get in there and help you out. And it's like, okay, cool. I'm great for that. And then and then we come to Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, on the far side of this cover, where he's, like, tied up. And I'm like, first of all, did the monster tie you up? Who tied you up? And then... He's very dexterous for a 50-foot-tall green earth monster. I know, like, this is impressive. And then Reed is over here saying, it'll take more than ropes to keep Mr. Fantastic out of action. And he's like stretching out of the ropes and everything. And again, I'm just sitting here like, okay, if you could get out of this so easily, how did you get tied up in the first place? Seriously, how did you, that doesn't just happen. Who did you let do that to you? I mean, are you and Sue a little kinkier in the bedroom than we ever thought? <laughs> Aww. <laughs> oh, I don't want to think about that. And why are you doing it right here out in the street then? Like, were you just in the middle exactly. of a, were you just in the middle of a public humiliation thing or something? And then this Aww. monster showed up and interrupted? <laughs> Is that what happened? Yeah, you can't stretch what counts, can you, Mr. Motherfucker? <laughs> well, I've always found him to be a little limp. But so yes, like this cover is a classic. But it's also a mess, and I adore it so much. So, just like the previous Superman story that we discussed, uh, this one also starts um, in Media Res. And um, so what okay. happens is, there is a shocked crowd who is looking up into the sky as this puff of smoke appears in the sky that reads, The Fantastic Four! <laughs> The first rule of any superhero team is brand recognition, kids. <laughs> so they're looking up at the sky and they're just like, what the fuck is this? What is this? What is going on here? And the cops are down here like, rumors are flying about an alien invasion. It's panicking the crowds. And they have fantastic grammar. <laughs> yeah, my question is, if it's an alien invasion, why are they writing the Fantastic Four in English, in Earth lettering? I'm like... <laughs> And right below it, it says, Surrender Dorothy. <laughs> exactly. And so then we see in a window, silhouetted, Reed Richards holding a flare gun. And he says to himself, I'm, so I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> the phrase, I don't know why, but the phrase Reed Richards holding a flare gun is immediately hilarious to me. <laughs> like, I can stretch for... 
I don't know, however long Reed Richards can stretch. I can stretch for miles on end. How am I going to pull this off? Get a fucking flare gun. (laughs) But he's standing in his window and he just goes, This is the first time I found it necessary to give the signal. I hope it'll be the last. And it's like, alright, this is going to be a real short book then. (laughs) Smash cut to 50 years later and no one has aged a day. (laughs) So at that point, uh, we cut to Sue Storm, who is um, having tea with, quote, a society friend. And her friend goes to the window and she's like, oh, hey, look, there are some weird words up in the sky there. What's up with that? The Fantastic Four? And Sue's like, holy fuck! Okay, um... (laughs) I know that's not an actual quote, but I really want it to be. Oh, good heavens, who are these Fantastic Four? Fuck me in the ass! I gotta go! (laughs) So Sue just friggin' in the middle of this room, turns invisible, and runs out of the room! And her society (laughs) friend's over here like, "Where where did Sue go? What is this? So in in what in another of what I would like to describe as moment of unnecessary menace, um, yeah. Sue Sue wanders out into the street, invisible, is shoving people out of the way like I have to no time to lose, and like it's just everybody's like oh my god it's a ghost. <laughs> I was going to say, is this literally the scene from the Spongebob Squarepants episode where they get the invisible spray and everyone's going... That's exactly it. That is exactly what is happening. So then Sue uh, sees an empty cab, which she, still invisible, mind you, opens the door, gets in... And the cab driver's like, Ah, well, I got nobody here. I might as well cruise around for a little bit. And then as soon as she gets to the destination, which she was very lucky that he apparently was driving past. Seriously, though. She hands him her money. And I'd like to point out, still invisible. So she's sitting in the- So money just appears from the back of the cab. Yeah, and she's like, thanks, I'll get out here now. And this guy sees this floating dollar bill and is just like, ah, ah, ghosts! And like, just- She paid that motherfucker a dollar? What a cheap jerk. I mean, it was 1961, so, you know. Inflation's a bitch. Yep. But so he drives off without even taking the money and Sue's over here like, wow, I really am invisible. And it's like- why did you... What was the point of that? Why is this still shocking to you? Yeah, really. So that that cuts us over to a men's clothing store where there's a very tall man wearing a trench coat and a hat who oh, is uh, trying ben. to buy clothing. And there's this dude in an orange plaid suit who is selling... He's like, I'm sorry, I just don't have anything that fits a man your size. Oh, hey, look out the window. It says the Fantastic Four in the sky. How weird. Ben Grimm later crushed this man to death on his way to to rendezvous with his team. As you have rightly guessed, um, Ben Grimm rips off the trench coat and is just like, all right, I gotta go. And he, like smashes the doorway in order to get out again we've got 
More moments of unnecessary menace. Fucking... First, it was Clark in the Superman story ripping steel doors off its hinges, and now Ben is just busting out into the streets. These guys are supposed to be superheroes. I know, I know, and it gets even better because the cops run over, and they're like, oh my god, it's a monster, we should just shoot it! And so, again, they start shooting, and it just bounces off. And This is no time for (laughs) horseplay. So Ben rips the manhole cover out of the street, jumps down into the sewers, and just rides the sewers to his destination. Ew! 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 Please tell me he had time to shower before they went and fought the crisis. I mean, if you look at these panels, the water looks remarkably clean. For, oh, but um... it's like up to his mouth! Oh, oh yeah. Like, no. he's almost entirely submerged in, in shit, I have to assume. Ew! No! So, Ben gets to what he assumes is his destination and smashes out through the street, almost hitting a car. And In fact, he does hit the car. Like, he smashes the freaking car as he comes out of the street. What do you think that driver was thinking? Just... Oh, man, I really should stop by the store. I'm kind of running low on chips if I'm... Oh, my God! (laughs) And the best part is Ben's like, Did you not see me in time? And it's like, Of course he didn't see you. You were underground until 30 seconds ago. I'm sorry. I don't have a hair trigger reflex when it comes to people erupting out of the street. So then the police show up, and it's it's a friggin' riot squad. And they're gone. Ben's gone. And it's like, I don't know how to explain it, but there's something weird happening here in Central City. (laughs) No! What makes you think that, professional law-abiding citizen? And also, I would like to point out that they are not, in fact, in New York. They are in Central City. So I have to assume the Flash is somewhere around here, just waiting around the corner. I was gonna say... Um, it's just one of those fun things where, like, um, they retconned it later so that it was in New York, but it's just one of those things where it's <laughs> yeah, one of those little things. They get a call from Leibowitz like, we need to talk. So the cops are like, what's going on here? And at that point, we cut over to a service station where we see Johnny Storm hanging out with a friend of his and they're working on a car together. And he's like, there's only one thing in the world that interests me more than cars. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, what's that, Johnny? Oh, hey, look, up in the sky, there are some words up there. They say the Fantastic Four, and now they're all coming together, and they're just turning into the number four. How weird, Johnny, isn't that weird? Smash cut to the outside of this garage, and it just goes up in flames as Johnny flies through the roof. You're actually a little more on track than you think. No, Andrew. (laughs) Andrew. So... These people are supposed to be heroes. Why are they destroying the so, city they're trying to so defend? So Johnny, upon seeing this, bursts into flame and flies out, melting the car that they were working on, and I assume causing the gas pumps across the way to explode. Andrew, <laughs> G- guys, you are uh, uh, like I'm. I'm at a loss for words here. You are immediately right off the bat terrible heroes. 
You are terrible at hiding your secret identities, and you are destroying public property and most likely harming innocent citizens. Like, so far, Sue has caused the least damage, and that's only by virtue of the fact that she didn't, like, cause that car to crash or anything. She's caused psychological damage. Now a third of the city believes in ghosts. And it gets gets even better, because Johnny is flying through the sky on his way to this message, and... Upon seeing this, the mayor of Central City is like, Call the governor! Have him alert the National Guard! To which, the governor, um, sends out a fighter jet. Like, several fighter jets (laughs) to try and take down Johnny as he's flying over the city. And as, as they get too close... Their planes are literally melting. Oh my god! Yes. Oh my god! Johnny boiled those pilots alive. Oh no! It does show that the uh, the pilots uh, do get out uh, with parachutes and shit. But that begs the question: Why aren't their parachutes catching on fire? If apparently was... Johnny's hot enough to melt the steel of airplanes. I was literally about to say, oh thank God they ejected out of the plane so they can take the force of the the force of the radioactivity of a sun directly to their bare skin. And it gets even better because apparently they don't care about civilian casualties because they have also launched a heat-seeking missile with a nuclear warhead attached to it. This is explicitly said. option? Well, the jets failed. Launch a nuke at the fucker. <laughs> yeah, really. So Johnny's like, oh man, if this explodes, I'm a goner. You're a goner? The entire city's a goner if this nuke explodes above right? it? <laughs> Who elected these people to office? They make terrible, terrible decisions. Please, I'm only an elected official here. I can't make decisions by myself. So as Johnny is like trying to evade this missile, we see a pair of hands reach up into the sky, grab the missile and throw it into the water where it, quote, explodes harmlessly over the sea. A a nuclear missile. That's not how any of this works. Nope. <laughs> Though I guess I shouldn't expect scientific accuracy from a book where su- where cosmic sun rays turn someone into a rock man. Yeah, really. At this point, you should just be asking, why aren't they dead? Seriously, they all have cancer. So Johnny's falling out of the sky, and he gets caught by Reed Richards, who brings him into uh, this uh, townhouse where they're waiting. And so they're all there now, and Reed is like, there is a task that awaits us now, a fearful task. Yeah, a nuke exploded in the ocean. <laughs> That's yeah, the really. fearful task. New York Harbor is radioactive now, or I guess Central City Harbor is radioactive <laughs> now. This is what the Flash should be dealing with at this point. <laughs> Seriously, this is this is the start of the Flash issue number one. <laughs> a nuke exploded in the harbor, and now the Flash has to find a way to get rid of the radioactivity. They're menaces, all of them. <laughs> <So> <laughs> they really are. A- upon Reed saying that there is a fearful task that awaits them, we cut away to a flashback sequence. And um, so we've got all four of them hanging out and uh ben comes over to him and uh he's like you want to fly to the stars then you pilot the ship you count me out you know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays they might kill us all out in space 
So we're getting why the idea of, um, you know, at why they've gotten their weird powers in the first place. And you ask why they're going, why they're even going, because, and I'm quoting Sue here, we've got to take that chance unless we want the commies to beat us to it. So you have to understand the cultural landscape that this comic was coming out in. I, I need to let that statement just sit for a second. This... I did not know that this was the motivation that led to the Fantastic Four getting their powers. Also, like and like you were saying, I, I get the political landscape of the time, but there's something so wrong to me about somebody as nice as Susan Storm saying the word commie. <laughs> well, you know, what makes this even funnier is I've explained to you before that um, Marvel has this floating timeline where it's assumed that, you know, events are occurring in the present day, no matter when they're happening. So we're talking about this comic that came out in 1961, which, based on the floating timeline of Marvel, um, they've stated that every, for every year in Marvel Comics, four years occur in the real world. So I did the math on that, which means that this comic is taking place 15 years ago from now. So in the year 2007, <laughs> we've got Sue Storm coming out here being like, we gotta beat the commies to space! I feel like she woke up from like a 40-year coma right before doing this. <laughs> so I'm just asking, wondering if Ben after that was just like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Sue, we all have cell phones now. Also, why did you give that cab driver a dollar? Yeah, seriously. The fare was 30 bucks, Sue. He didn't know I was there. But so, um, she's able to convince Ben to do this by calling him a coward. And Ben's ben, like, no, ben. I'm not a coward. I'll fly the damn ship. Oh, Ben. Yeah. So, we've got Reed Richards and Ben Grimm. Trained astronauts, I have to assume. And then we've got Sue and Johnny. Johnny is a teenager at this point. He can't be more than like 16 or 17. And he's bringing him into Isn't space. Sue a scientist though? Not at all. Per this initial story, Sue's just like, I'm your fiance, Reed. Where you go, I go. And that's it. No, 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 no. And in fact, that is not how Reed that works. Says, ben and that I know what not... we're doing. You guys don't have any fucking clue what you people are doing. Johnny's 16. <laughs> and Johnny's over here just like, and I'm tagging along with Sis. So it's settled. Reed should be like, what? No. What are you talking about? Just because you say it's settled doesn't mean it's settled. You are a child. So they sneak onto this base and immediately run onto this ship and say they're like there's no time to wait for official clearance and it's like are the russians what? planning on launching a rocket like today what's the urgency here well clearly they are considering that our own government is launching rockets at their own cities apparently yeah, you know what? With, with the reaction to this, I can completely understand why the Russians want to just shoot rockets up into space immediately. I cannot believe that Reed Richards and Ben Grimm, who are respected scientists, are breaking into a fucking facility and stealing a rocket 
rather than rather than going through these proper channels. They're respected science figures. That is exactly what's happening. So they steal this rocket ship and they launch up into space and Reed's like, we're doing it. We're the first. Woo. And then Ben's like, we're getting into the cosmic rays now. Don't, don't be too excited. <laughs> In hindsight, Ben's advice was very, very apropos. Yes. And in fact, like, immediately after this, what we see is that uh, these cosmic rays are, in fact, just penetrating the ship. Oh, and God. And so, like, the shielding isn't powerful enough. They did not prepare enough for this. So, um... Not powerful enough. It's non-existent. Like, the sound it's making, that rat tack 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 sound, it is oh, piercing it like Swiss cheese. Exactly. Exactly. And Reed's over here like, oh my god, Ben was right. We should have gotten heavier shielding. And at this point, Johnny Storm is starting to smoke. Like, he oh, is actively, you know, smoke is pouring off of him. And Ben falls off his chair because he's like, somebody else has to take the controls. My arms are too heavy. I can't move. This is a horror story. Absolutely it is. full on into a horror comic. And it says that after this point, the ship's autopilot takes over and takes them back to Earth for a rough but non-fatal landing. I bet they wish they had died. Yeah, really. So they all stagger out of the ship. And, um, Reed's over here like, oh man, we have to see whether the cosmic rays have affected us in any way. Oh, DG, you fucking think? Your 16-year-old nephew was almost on fire. <laughs> so, at this point, Sue starts to turn invisible. And everybody's like, oh my god, what's happening to you, Sue? Oh my god! For all they know, she is literally fading from existence. But, like, Sue doesn't even notice until somebody points out the fact that she's turning invisible. And then she, after that, she's just like, oh no, how long will this last? Sue! Sue! You, <laughs> you got need bigger to problems be more concerned. Here. Yeah, yes. really? So then Reed's like, there's absolutely no way of knowing. And then, like, immediately after that, Sue turns visible again. And they're just like, oh, oh, that's fine then. Reed, I would like to point out that there could have been a way from there could have been a way for you to know if you and Ben had I don't know waited for clearance before taking <laughs> off <laughs> and not stolen your friggin' rocket ship. They are criminals. These absolutely. people are criminals. Yes, absolutely they are. So then Reed's like, "Oh my God, thank God you're back. This is great," and Ben's like. Well, how do you know she won't turn invisible again? And what'll happen to the rest of us? Fair. A at which point, Reed wheels on him and he's just like, I'm sick and tired of you, Ben Grimm. Sick and tired of all your insults and your complaining. Reed! Reed! <laughs> and you literally admitted while you were getting pelted by cosmic rays that Ben was right. What are you talking about? Well, now he's going to be an asshole about it because any landing you can walk away from, am I right? <laughs> Yes and no. Yes in any other case but this one. So at this point, as he has whirled on Ben and Ben is ready to like punch him straight in the face, this is Good. the point where Ben starts to grow rocky skin and he's he's becoming the thing actively as they're having this argument. So 
What he does is he immediately picks up a tree and goes <laughs> goes to knock Reed's block off. And Reed is like avoiding all this as he's like stretching out of the way and he wraps himself around Ben and he's just like, what the fuck is going on here? Can I just say how much I would rather have seen Reed get hit and launched into the distance while he was stretchy just to see all four limbs flapping like streamers <laughs> as he flies away? So then, at this point, uh, Johnny, who, again, is actively starting to smoke again. Yeah, Johnny's on fire. Somebody help him. Yeah, he's him. over here like, you've all turned into monsters. It's those terrible cosmic rays. And then at this point, he bursts into flame <laughs> and starts a friggin' brush fire as in the area where they landed. These are not superheroes. <laughs> These are monsters. So Johnny learns that he can fly at this point, and everybody's just standing here watching this brush fire that Johnny has made, and they're like, oh, hey, wow, we're more than human now. That's awesome. Put it out! <laughs> also, if Johnny can melt military-grade steel jets just by being near them, why are his other three friends not actively combusting right now? Right? I know. What sense does that make? They can't all, like, I love Sue, but I don't think she's more durable than a jet. No, doubtful. But so, uh, they're, they're just like, all right, so... We have more power than any human beings have ever possessed. You know what we have to do now, right? And Ben's like, Become supervillains? Stop making the speech. We gotta use it to benefit mankind, right? And Reed's like, You're right. You got it. Also, you're a rock now. Mission number one, put out this fucking fire. Yeah, really. And we never see them do that either. So... <laughs> what? I just have to assume that they just started a forest fire and just let it go. You know, I've seen the first Fantastic Four movie uh, with Chris Evans as Johnny Storm. And that movie gets lambasted because the fa they say the Fantastic Four are more like a-holes and, me and menaces to society than actual superheroes. I wonder where they got the inspiration for that. Okay, now I'm gonna go kill him. It's very foundational. It's in the book. Oh my god. <laughs> so at this point, they're like, yeah, we should use our powers to help mankind. And um, Johnny is just like, I'm gonna call myself the Human Torch, and I'm down for this. And then Sue's like, all right, same goes for me, the Invisible Girl. Leave it to Johnny Storm, a 16-year-old, to come up with the coolest name in the entire group. Absolutely. Also, why are why are Sue, Ben, and Johnny orange in that last panel and Reed is purple? Oh, you know, weird coloring and fun stuff it's like that. It's those horrible cosmic rays! <laughs> But so, um, so Ben's like, well, I ain't Ben anymore. I'm what Susan called me when I turned into this Rocky thing. The Thing. <laughs> oh, Ben. So as you can see, Ben chose his own name. Ben. To which Reed, upon hearing this, just goes, oh, sucks. I'm gonna be Mr. Fantastic. Fuck you, Reed. <laughs> And then, Why are you the leader? You are such an a-hole. Exactly. Absolutely. So, at this point, we, we come to a narration caption which reads, 
And so was born the Fantastic Four. And from that moment on, the world would never again be the same. (laughs) (laughs) That was read... You read that in the most appropriate tone it could have possibly be read in. From what we've seen up to this point, absolutely. These four... These four disasters of nature unleashed upon the world. So we're, we're now out of flashback territory and we're bringing them back to why Reed summoned them in the first place. And he's like, all right, I have some pictures to show you. Here, uh, we, this is a big old sinkhole behind the Iron Curtain. This used to be an atomic plant. And they're like, okay, first of all, how did you get these photos? And yeah. second of all... <laughs> Also, a nuke went off in the bay, so there's that. (laughs) Yeah, we should probably address that at some point. (laughs) So he shows them photos of a whole bunch of other um, sinkholes that have apparently appeared in various atomic plants all over the planet. Oh, no. Is somebody kidnapping atomic plants? There is uh, atomic plants that are being pulled down into the earth. Oh, no. And at this point, um, Reed's radar machine, quote-unquote, uh, picks up another cave-in that's about to take place. Just call it a radar. <laughs> you don't need to call it anything else. A radar machine? So, over in, quote, French Africa. That's not a real thing. Uh, so we've got a couple of French dudes who are just standing guard at this atomic plant, And then behind them, there is a tremble in the ground, and a pair of giant green hands come out and start pulling the entire atomic plant down into the earth. Yes, that is something you don't see every day. And they call for the artillery, and they start firing the artillery at this giant green beast that has come out of the earth. But the narration is my favorite part of this because it's just like, artillery? Of what use is artillery against a creature whose hide is powerful enough to dig its way up through countless tons of rock-hard earth? Artillery? Of what use is artillery against a monster who can crush a heavy tank with one hand? I think the writer, you said Stan Lee wrote this dialogue. Absolutely, yes. I think yes. Stan was really going through something right there. He was having some kind of mental break where he was like, Look at this monster! Does anyone understand how powerful this monster is? Look at these human ants running before its might! Look at the terrible technology that is useless against it! I'm sorry I blacked out there for a second. Martin Goodman looking at these finished pages like, Stan, are you going through something? Do you, uh, do you need a break? I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) I wanted to quit. (laughs) I wanted to quit and you're making me do shit, Martin. (laughs) Look at the power you've unleashed because you didn't let me leave. (laughs) But so, um, the monster returns to the earth upon the orders of a figure who is in silhouette, referred to as the Mole Man. Oh, cower in your boots, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) The Mole Man. 
So then they're like, all right, we'll get back to the Mole Man in a little bit. Let's get back to the Fantastic Four. No! And Reed is looking at his radar machine, which at this point is really more like um, a friggin' uh, Richter scale device. Also, good, like, good hustle, that's... gang. You really stopped that nuclear plant from getting taken. Oh, I know. Like, he's over here just like, oh, man, it's happening again over in French Equatorial Africa. <laughs> which again leads me to say... Reed, this is 2007. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Like, everybody got here as quick as they possibly could, and they did nothing to help. Exactly. So he's like, all right, so by studying the cave-ins very carefully, I've pinpointed the island that is located exactly between them, and I think that's where we're going to find our answer. We are going to Monster Isle. I said it before about French Africa. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> That's not a real place. It very much is, though, even though Ben agrees with you. Ben leans in and he's just like, There's no such place as Monster Isle. That's a fairy tale. That's like, gee, we need to track down these Nazis before they cause any more damage. I, where could they possibly be hiding? Well, based on my based on my research, I think I have a hunch. They might be hanging out in this club called the I Love Hitler Room. <laughs> like, gee, gee, Reed. I don't know why that one killed me so much, but <laughs> gee, Reed, what a what an astute scientific discovery you may you have made. You really are earning that degree. Yeah, very good, very good. So they get in what is referred to as their private jet, and they fly <laughs> to Monster Isle, where um, Reed's just like, oh, hey, there it is. And conveniently enough, it, it does, in fact, look like uh, an orange island that has a big old face on it. Like, that is not a subtle structure. That is not a subtle landmass. You'd think it would be common knowledge amongst map makers by now. I know. Like, um, oh, Reed looking over his atlas before they leave, just like, oh, hey, there's Monster Isle. <laughs> <laughs> and Ben's like, ah, oh, goddammit, I gotta admit he was right about something. <laughs> so they, they land and they start climbing uh, the mountain and when they get up there, they start looking into uh, this chasm that they see, and they see a whole bunch of eyes peering back up at them. And for lack of a better phrase, they're attacked by, uh, what, what is that three-headed Godzilla monster? Ghidorah? They're attacked by Ghidorah. Ghidorah. King Ghidorah. That, okay, that is the most awesome thing that has happened so far in this comic. It's this big friggin' orange, uh, three-headed monster. Oh my god, it is King Ghidorah! Side note to our listeners, King Ghidorah is actually my favorite Godzilla monster, so that's <laughs> really cool. So, um, it starts chasing after them, and Reed yells over, Quick, Sue, turn invisible! <laughs> <laughs> That'll so, confuse it! Actually, that's exactly what happens! Like, Sue oh, turns invisible, god. and the monster's up here like, What the fuck just happened?! And then, in its momentary... To quote Ace Ventura... Man, I'm tired of being right. <laughs> so in its momentary confusion, Reed turns his arm into a big old lasso, runs it uh, around its neck, and throws it into the sea. You know, around its one neck. It's got three of them, Reed. Yeah. And then Reed is over here like, 
You know, I heard there was a giant three-headed creature guarding this island. Why didn't you tell anybody, Reed? I know, why didn't you say anything about this? Surely you would have briefed them on what was supposedly going to happen to them on Monster Isle before you you did this. You knew about the island and you knew about the quote-unquote guardian and yet you did not tell anybody anything until now? (laughs) You are a terrible leader. You're very bad at this. Also, your powers are gross. (laughs) Also, immediately at that point, there is a cave-in beneath Johnny and Reed. And rather than, you know, bursting into flame and flying, which we have seen Johnny do at this point, Reed makes himself into a parachute, and they slowly float down into this cavern. Hang on, Johnny. I'll save us by stealing the spotlight. I can just... You don't have to do this. I'm the leader, and I say parachute. All right, whatever. We. <laughs> I'm just imagining uh, Reed Richards talking like the uh, the the one dog from the Fox and the Hound. The wait a minute, I'm the leader. I'll decide how we escape this chasm. We use the parachute. <laughs> oh no! God, this team but... is this team is so bad. Yeah, I know. That's this is why I like going back to the very beginning of these things because it's ridiculous when you look back at the places they've attained in pop culture and you go back to the very beginning and it's like what the fuck are these people? Oh, we have not worked <laughs> out the kinks in our writing yet. So, um they're down in this cave and Reed and Reed and Johnny are kind of feeling around and Johnny finds this uh door in the wall that kind of slides away. And as soon as they open it up, there's this bright, blinding light that comes at them out of it. And the next thing that happens that we see is they wake up, and they're wearing, like, these protective blue suits. And they're like, who put us in these things? Uh-huh. And from the other side of the room, there is a, a man standing over there who's just like, You're blinded by the Valley of the Diamonds. That's why you had such issues. And by the way... I'm the Mole Man. (laughs) Uh, Mole Man from The Simpsons got tired of being kicked around. You took four minutes of my life and I want them back. Also, the Valley of the Diamonds... Oh yeah, like we're 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 talking um we're talking literally here. Also, first of all, yes, that is very much a Valley of Diamonds. Second of all, why do they look like they're cosplaying the Blue Man Group? (laughs) because i guess the mole man isn't a great fashion designer with these suits those suits are protective there's no glass in the eye and mouth holes i know right (laughs) they're just there they don't protect anyone from anything my eyes the goggles do nothing so you also uh from that little glimpse that i showed you get your first glimpse of the mole man there yeah it really is mole man from the simpsons (laughs) So at that point, we cut back up to the surface with Ben and Sue, and Sue's like, Aw, man, we lost Reed and Johnny. We gotta find them. Oh, hey, what's that noise? And sneaking up behind her, we've got, like, this big blue creature made out of rocks. So at this point, uh, Ben doffs his jacket and runs over to beat the creature up. The creature didn't do anything to you. And here's here's Stan again uh, with his narration. Oh, no. And I'd like... The second gigantic guardian of Monster Isle is powerful beyond belief. 
But he's fighting an enemy whose every atom has been charged with cosmic rays. An enemy who can't be stopped! <laughs> I love the idea of Stan just having these, like, psychotic breaks <laughs> in the middle of this writing. And then the thing threw a hard left and destroyed the creature's jaw. And the creature whimpered before the might of the rock man! And Martin Goodman coming over just like, Stan, I insist that you take a week off, please. <laughs> There's like 40 cigarettes put out in his ashtray. He's got like like just bottles of Jack Daniels laying around. He's got just bags under his eyes. I can't until I show the world the might of the rock man. He's over here just like in fetal position, rocking back and forth, just, I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit. <laughs> you asked for me to do this. <laughs> So Ben throws the rock monster into the sea, and at <laughs> this point... Get, why is everything getting thrown into bodies of water? <laughs> because it's right there, so everybody everybody just goes in there. We got the um, nuke, so... King Ghidorah, the rock monster, everything just gets... The, the mole <laughs> man, they're gonna beat the mole man by throwing him into the ocean. <laughs> God, I wish. <laughs> I've read this book. It's a lot worse than that. Oh, so, no. <laughs> so, uh, after Ben and Sue beat this monster, really just Ben, Sue pretty much did nothing. Um, <laughs> I Remember, kids, I wanted a female superhero. Look how great she's being. <laughs> so we cut back to Reed and Johnny, who are hanging out with the Mole Man, and they're all like, hey, what the fuck are you doing here? Who the fuck are you? The most logical <laughs> thing they've asked this entire book. And he's over here just like, the people of the service world mocked me. And basically, all I'm getting here is, he's a short guy with a big nose and some beady eyes, but apparently um, this is the worst crime in existence because like, we get a flashback to him uh, you know, just living his life on the surface. And there's this woman who's just like, no, I'm not going to go out with you, you fucker. And then beneath <laughs> that, there's this dude who's just like, well, I know you're qualified, but you can't work here because you'd scare our other employees away. Oh, no, my brains. Is this an anti-bullying book? It very well just might be at this point. So the mole man is like, all right. I guess I'll just leave then. So um, he goes to the friggin' North Pole in search of, quote, the legendary land at the center of the earth, a world where I could be king. I'm sorry. Is the dialogue literally saying that there is a world in the middle of a world? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's what we're getting here. That's not how science works. It was a dumb plot point in Godzilla vs. Kong, and it's a dumb plot point now. Well, uh, there was a thing that uh, I read when I was doing my research for this that said uh, the movie Journey to the Center of the Earth had come out very recently as well. Oh. So um, they might be, you know, aping that a little bit, too. Just a tiny, teensy bit. Mm-hmm. So... The Mole Man um, falls into these caverns at the center of the earth. And he's like, oh man, I made it. But also, the fall has made me blind. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> can, you, 
can you seriously go blind from falling too far? I don't think that's how biology works. Uh, well, apparently, but he's like, I am a human mole now. That that's also not how that not how that works. I've learned to sense things in the dark, like a mole. Here, try and hit me with this pole. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> he throws Reed a pole and suggests, a ch like, he's like, come at me, bro. I'm sorry, I thought this was a book about a monster stealing power plants. Why is this guy taunting the stretchy man? <laughs> so, so he goes in and they, uh, they try to do the thing. And Reed is not able to strike at him. But then he's like, all right, so I don't know why I didn't just kill you when you were here before. But, fucking right? But here's the thing. This is the map of my empire. Each tunnel leads to a major city, and as soon as I've wrecked every atomic plant in the world, the source of your power on Earth, my mighty mole creatures will attack and destroy everything that lives above the surface. This is literally a book about saving nukes. I hate this. <laughs> yeah, you know. But also, um, why couldn't he have just, like, I don't know, harnessed that atomic power? Yeah, yeah, that would have been a smart way to go if you're planning on taking over the world. You literally have a creature that can steal plants. Yeah, really. And at this point, as he's bragging about this plan to uh, Reed and Johnny, that's the point where Sue and Ben get here. Somehow. I have no idea how they found them. Sue's like, time for me to do something. And then Sue does nothing. And Thing charges at... Uh... That's such a shame. Such a so shame. So we've got Ben charging at the Mole Man, and the Mole Man rings a big old bell. Which leads to our big old green monster coming back out of the earth. It really is just a big green monster. <laughs> it has no other descriptors other than it's big, it's green, and it's a mm -hmm. monster. At which point, um, Johnny bursts into flame again and starts flying around the monster. And Reed catches the escaping Mole Man and starts trying to drag him out of the cave as they try to escape. No, 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 no. I've got to hit you with the pole, remember? <laughs> There is no escape from the fortress of the moles. No, except that. And uh, they're they're running out of these caverns, chased by every single nightmare beast that um, Jack Kirby can think up. So, like, I'm gonna show you the uh, the monsters that we've got here. <laughs> I, I highly encourage, if we don't have this image posted anywhere, <laughs> I highly encourage somebody to look this up. Because this looks like a Dr. Seuss nightmare. <laughs> also, I love how the monsters don't look threatening. They look scared to be chasing after these Oh, people. yeah, really? Um, so, Johnny gets them out of the cave by, like, me melting a cave around them. And they fly out of this cave and get back to their plane and Johnny seals the entrance to the Mole Man's kingdom behind them and they get in the plane and they're like hey where's the Mole Man and Reed's like oh I left that guy behind <laughs> he'll never trouble anyone again yes he will he can bury through earth <laughs> it's not going to stop him Reed yeah really but then, then, <laughs> behind them, 
Monster Isle completely just explodes <laughs> for no goddamn good reason. Monster Isle just freaking blows up. Gee, maybe we shouldn't have been stockpiling all those nuclear power plants down here. <laughs> and Reed's like, oh man, he destroyed the entire isle. He sealed himself below forever. No! You don't, it's not, I don't... You didn't, did you really stop? Why? Did you How? really stop the plan? You've done nothing. You did nothing to stop this. You were just there while this happened. Yes, I know. Like, this just happened to you. They influenced nothing about this plot. Like, they didn't vanquish this monster. They didn't stop the mole man. Like, he could very well, you know, just keep bringing down atomic plants they didn't in any way stop him they just assume that he's gone now because the island blew up there's a lot more ground on the earth than just this island reed and then as they're flying away he's like you know it's uh, i think it's best that way there was no place for him no in... no it's not there was reed. no place for him in our world it's like Oh, he's just, oh my he's just God. a short guy I'm with like, a big nose. What the fuck is wrong with you people? I, I'm like actually angry. <laughs> like this, how dare you? You're supposed to be superheroes and you've, you've irradiated a bay. You've destroyed an island with living creatures on it, and you have bullied a poor, slightly, uh, slightly ugly man. <laughs> Into blowing up his I home. Know. And you in no way stopped a criminal from committing crimes. <laughs> you... Turns out the Fantastic Four are actually awful at this. It's, yeah, absolutely they are. <laughs> Definitely top five worst superhero <laughs> team debuts ever. Oh, man. And this origin has oh very much God. gone down in history as like, you know... Th this is where it all started. This is where the Marvel Universe Thank began. God they've improved from here. Is that the end? Yeah, that's the end of the book. Is Reed that's saying... That's how it ends? That's how it ends. Is Reed flying away and being like, Man, I hope that guy finds peace down there. I hope the Mole Man shows up and slits Reed's throat in his sleep. You call that a knife? This is a knife! Well, the Mole Man has come back since then. Good. Uh, I am rooting recurring... for Mole Man. He's become a recurring foe of the Fantastic Four. So, um, but yeah, I mean, everybody's just an asshole to the Mole Man for no good reason. I, I am rooting for the Mole Man and his cater of monsters. I know, right? That's just, that's what we need. He should have won. So, uh, oh so you, you didn't, you didn't care for this one, huh? No, no, I did not. Whatever gave you that idea, Andrew? Maybe the fact that these menaces to society, as I said a moment ago, irradiated a bay, set brush on fire, blew up an island, and did not st not did not stop the quote-unquote bad guy, instead bullied him and assumed he was dead. <laughs> also, what the fuck was the Valley of Diamonds? Just some diamonds, you know. A whole valley of them, and we just establish them and never talk about it again? They have the power to blind people. Yeah, apparently, but here we are. Oh my god. <laughs> Listeners, some people might think that the Fantastic Four movies are bad. I encourage you to read this comic. <laughs> what the hell is this?
<laughs> I mean, it's pretty damn wild. It really is. Like, I, I can understand the historic place that this has in, uh, in continuity. And Stan Lee and Jack Kirby are, you know, wonderful creators. And the origin, I think, is, is timeless. The origin does really work. Like, they've since retconned it, you know, not to involve the commies anymore. Yeah. And just have, you know, Reed trying to make his mark on history and being impatient about it. But, um... Thank God which, they which retconned leads, this. Yeah, it leads to a lot of, like, pathos for the characters down the line. Because Reed blames himself for what he's done to these people. And, you know, um, not having the, the... Especially Ben not being able to live a normal life anymore. So it's, you know, um, they, they build upon this origin. This entire... But standing on its own, This entire you know, book screams Stan Lee wanted to quit. <laughs> that is the theme of this fucking book, is Stan Lee wanted to quit. Stan Lee's trying to... This is like, these are like those terrible Family Guy episodes that Seth MacFarlane makes because he wants Family Guy to get cancelled. <laughs> So, uh, so let me ask you this then, uh, we're going to do our traditional wrap up here oh, and, God. Uh, let me ask you, um, who was in your opinion, the wackiest character in this thing or the craziest character? And also what was the wackiest situation in this thing? I mean, the shorter answer would be what I found to be the most sane character and situation. But if we're talking character, I'm going to go with Reed asshole Richards because this entire thing, everything that happened through this book is his fault, and he does not feel bad at all for it. <laughs> but for wildest situation? God, what? Um, you know what? The one that immediately sticks in my mind is fucking Johnny and fucking Johnny melting everything as he flies through the city to, quote, big air quotes, be a superhero. <laughs> Oh, that's incredible. Maybe my standards I mean, for, for, are too high when it comes to superhero stories, but this was just, like, you're not heroes. None of you are heroes. <laughs> Moments of unnecessary menace. Love them. Oh, em. my God. What about you? So, for me, I think the craziest character moment was from Johnny, uh, whenever he's answering Reed's summons and bursts into flame <laughs> and flies out of his own car and he melts his own car oh my God. in order to, and like, there is no moment of reflection where he goes back and just goes, oh my God, I just melted a car and maybe blew up some gas tanks at this service station. Those people I was working with, they are cooked alive. Mm-hmm. But for me, also the, the craziest situation is that moment in the Mole Man's flashback where the dude who he's, like, applying to is just like, you're very qualified to work here, but you're ugly as hell. You'd scare every other employee. And I'm is just that like... Is not how the hiring process went in the 60s? I, <laughs> it must have been. I, I'm sitting here just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Who the fuck... <laughs> Get a helmet for him. I don't know. Yeah, like, if he's qualified, why are you just... What the fuck is wrong with you? Oh, my God. Once again, just like in the Superman book, everyone is an a-hole. <laughs> Except for Mole Man! I feel bad for the villain of this comic! <laughs> I mean, I do, too. Every time I read this thing, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, why are you all such assholes to the Mole Man? 
Like, no wonder he became a bad guy. This is an anti-bullying book. <laughs> yeah, th- this this whole thing is just Stan and Jack's anti-bullying PSA. Also, I love how Reed has the balls to say he probably should have stayed down there. He was too ugly to function in normal society, and Ben Grimm is sitting right the fuck next to him. <laughs> I know, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh, you got something you want to fucking say to me, Reed? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, oh. no, like, this book is undoubtedly a classic because of what it wrought and what came after it. But wow. But on its own. <laughs> God. That's what's fun about looking at these books like independently of each other because I love these characters and I love this team, but taken independently, like if this is where they had stopped, oh, wow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank God that thank God I, I'll honestly say it like as much as I've ranted and raved against this book, thank God the story continued so it could be made better. Absolutely. Like, that's the, thi- that's the thing that I enjoy about looking at these first stories, because you get the chance to see from what insanity greatness uh, was able to come. Like, they were able to build upon the characters and the concepts and uh, make them into the stories that we know and love today. So, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And that's why I think I will- that's why for these first bunch of episodes, I am going to be focusing on the first stories of some of these iconic teams. Like... In the upcoming episodes, um, I think we're gonna take a look at. Uh, I think we're gonna take a look at Batman. We're gonna take a look at the Avengers. Cool. We're gonna take a look cool. at Wonder Woman. We're gonna take a look at the yes. X Men. So it's gonna be. It's gonna be awesome. Oh, I am very excited to touch on the first uh, issue of the X Men because I don't know what it. I don't know what the story is, but I've seen the cover art and I know that uh, Beast is just a big dude with weird feet, and <laughs> and uh, Iceman is a literal snowman. Oh, yeah. That one's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. I, I can't wait for it. So, uh, I think this is where we're going to wrap up our uh, our episode today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of This Is Getting Graphic. Uh, if you like what you've heard here tonight, uh, feel free to drop a comment or make a rating over on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. You can also find us over at TikTok, at This Is Getting Graphic as well as over at our email, which is thisisgettinggraphic at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media on Facebook at thisisgettinggraphic and on Twitter at thisgraphicpod. And we would also be remiss if we didn't mention uh, the composer of our opening and closing theme, which is the Super Guy theme by Mozart Mouse, and you can find their work over on Pond5. Uh, they do some great stuff, so... Uh, uh, wonderful royalty-free music, so uh, if that's uh, your jam or you need something, uh, check their work out. Uh, we would also be remiss if we didn't mention the amazing artist that has worked with us on this podcast, the great Alex Hanbury, who has done uh, our banner as well as other art for the podcast. If you like her work and want to see more of it, you can find her over on Twitter at Kona Okami. That is spelled K-O-N-A-O-O-K-A-M-I. And thank you once again, everybody. We really appreciate you listening, and we will see you in the next one. No one's gay for Mole Man.